I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Ever feel like you have imposter syndrome? Perhaps you have doubted yourself or your abilities even while you are doing a job. This is what TV personality Nancy Regan shares with us today. You may remember Nancy as co-host of Live at Five for 15 years. She talks about her insecurities and negative self-talk as a young co-host. And we also talk about her journey to her authentic self after leaving her co-host role. On that journey, Nancy has been enjoying her newfound creativity in poetry, which she shares on the podcast. This episode is all about authenticity. Welcome, Nancy Regan, to Soul Sister Conversations. Well, hello, Soul Sister. (laughs) I am thrilled to be speaking to you today because I remember watching you for years on my television set, you know, growing up and... and I was going to say, Dana, don't say that you grew up watching me. That'll make me feel really old. (laughs) I don't think I'm that far behind you, but you were a very young (laughs) co-host. And for anybody... I was 12 when I started. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and for anybody who remembers, uh, Nancy was the co-host of Live at Five on CTV for 15 years. And so I was interested in having a conversation with you because um, I was at the Elizabeth uh, Gilbert event last fall and okay. I saw Nancy Regan bopping around and, and delivering content. And I thought, oh, wow, I haven't seen this lady in years. And I thought, I wonder what she's up to. And I, then I knew you had a, a podcast called The Soul Booth. And I thought anybody who has a podcast called The Soul Booth has got to be worth talking to and having a soulful <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so um, so I'm glad you were uh, decided to have this conversation with me today. And I thought I would just open up our conversation with uh, a quote of Elizabeth Gilbert's that you used in an article that you wrote in the Chronicle. Harold that said perfectionism is just a high-end haute couture version of fear just fear and fancy shoes and a mink coat pretending to be elegant when actually it's terrified and you described that as that was you fear and fancy shoes when you were hosting live at five and that you felt like you weren't smart enough or talented enough and that you weren't enough and I thought well that seems so surprising because you you came across as very confident and a young host um, owning her space, but you said the reality was very different. Um, I'm act- I'm actually a much better actress than most people know. <laughs> well, you you said you grew up in theater, <laughs> and there I did, and I and I love acting. But I I will tell you very sincerely that acting played a role in me being successful in TV because I I really I was on a bit of a roller coaster in terms of fear and insecurity. And and the reason is pretty simple when I look back. And isn't that the case, Dana? Yeah. When we look back in hindsight, it's like, oh, I can see it all clearly now. Yes. And part of our journey is taking the time and making the space for ourselves to look back and figure things out. And I've been doing that a lot lately. I joked that I started hosting the show when I was 12, but the truth is I started when I was 22, which is still very young. I was straight out of St. of X. And I really just stumbled into this job with extraordinary luck. It was, I was sort of at the 
the the final edge of um, that era when you could just get into uh, TV or radio without any kind of uh, education. And I had just I had gotten in to see the news director at CTV. I was just finishing up my degree at Saint of X in English, and I had had an opportunity to do a, a fashion show that I was emceeing for a charity, and. I was, it was broadcast on the CBC, actually, because it was CBC Radio's annual birthday show, and they were televising it. And I was asked to come on and, and just sort of commentate on the outfits that these multicultural models were wearing for the Multicultural Festival. So I did that, and I, I just loved it. And I had a lot of positive feedback, people saying, oh, you're natural, you, gotta, you should pursue that. So I went in to, I got in to see the news director at CTV, um, which was then ATV, and right. I was just looking for advice as to whether I should go, you know, into radio uh, journalism to try to get into journalism school, broadcasting school, break into a small radio market somewhere and work my way up to television. And he said, well, I'm going to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you talk to this fellow I work with, who is the executive producer, who ended up being a, a huge um, influence in my life and, and really played a pivotal role. And he said, uh, let's see, you know, what kind of uh, potential you have, and then I'll decide, we'll decide from there. And they, they got me to do a few um, mock reports. They gave me some wire copy, which it was in those days. Mm -hmm. And I would rewrite it and then I put it on camera. And I was terrified. It was like the White Knuckle Express. I was thinking, <laughs> what am I doing here? I was only 22. I wasn't even finished my, uh, I hadn't even graduated yet. I think that was March of that year. And they kept calling me back. And eventually they said, look, we think you've got tons of potential, um, but we can't we can't justify hiring you as a summer reporter because we have all these tapes. And literally in those days, they were big three quarter inch <laughs> tapes and they were stacked, you know, up along the whole wall. They were tapes from across the country looking for summer reporting jobs. And so they said, if you want to come in and just work for free, sort of as an intern, we'll train you and see where this goes. And so I started right out of university in um, May of that year of 88. And then they put me on the air as an actual paid summertime reporter. I guess I was doing okay. Uh, they put me on the air by maybe the middle of June or the end of June. And then in August, the station MITV opened up, which of course was an Irving owned company then right. and it was a new endeavor and a lot of people who worked at ATV who were looking for greener pastures you know for, yeah. a, for a variety of reasons um, ended up going so there was a mass exodus from ATV over to MITV and one of the positions that opened I still chuckle when I say this uh, was the co-host of Live at Five and here I had been on the air as a summer replacement reporter, fresh out of school, out of university for two months. And that executive producer came to me and said, I want you to audition for the co-host position. And I looked at him and I was like, 
are you crazy? And I, I will never forget him laughing because he said, okay, that, that is not what your reaction should be. <laughs> you should, that is not a professional reaction. And I'm like, I, I mean, I thought he was, you know, just on quaaludes or something, mm-hmm. but he was a real champion of mine. And uh, I somehow got the job and I was, you know, stiff as a board when I started. I laugh now thinking it was like standing beside Steve Murphy, who was a, a pro even then. And I was just like, yes, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I eventually, you know, I certainly loosened up over the time. But I think that my imposter syndrome was very much related to the fact that I hadn't gone to journalism school and I hadn't done any broadcasting training and I was literally flying by the seat of my pants. So that's my long answer. So that sort of sowed the seeds. And yet I also, as a, as a kid and teenager, I can remember feeling that sort of imposter syndrome, always, always feeling like, I had people fooled that they felt I was much more capable than I really was. You know, when when they wanted me to, when my vice principal in high school wanted me to run for the president of the students' council, it was like, no way, man, not not happening. And because for me, I knew uh, within myself, I felt if I do that, maybe maybe part of it also was when you don't really try anything. Right. And you fail, it's not a big deal. But, you know, if you really try and then you fail, you're revealed as a failure. That was my mindset. Mm. And Mindset is a is the name of a book that I love by Carol Dweck. I have that on and my bedside table to read. Isn't it great? <laughs> well, yeah. I ha- I've already so, read pieces of it, but yes. But Well, I just, you know, for your, for your listeners, our listeners today, Dana, I'm yes. going to take ownership too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's, it, it sort of breaks people down into two categories, growth mindset and fixed mindset. And fixed mindset people, and that's how I certainly used to identify myself when I first read the book, believe that they have a certain amount of intelligence, a finite amount of intelligence, and and they're very risk averse. They're afraid to fail. Mm. And they feel that if they try something and they fail, that defines them as a failure. Mm. Whereas growth mindset people believe that um, the alternative is true, that they actually, their intelligence is very organic and Mm. can grow. And as we know, you know, uh, you know about brain plasticity, mm. neuroplasticity is all about the fact that we now know we can change our own brains so much. And growth mindset people just, you know, have it within them that um, when they fail, it's an opportunity to learn and figure out how not to do something, which helps them figure out how to do it. Mm. And and so I was I was inspired by that book and and the fact that it it um, asserts that you can change. You might be you might be a little bit of both in different aspects of your life. And and when did this book you, come into your life? When oh, did you read it? Is this a more ten recent? years ago? Ten years ago. I'd say ten years ago. Yeah, at the perfect time, as as books tend yes. to, Dana. <laughs> uh, it came into my life at the yeah. perfect time. I I feel like if I if I'm on a path, which I certainly feel is a good metaphor. 
the stepping stones along my path have been books mm. that sort of, you know, show up yeah. when I'm ready for them. And they take me from one theme in my life to another. Yes. And I'm very grateful for that. So when you started back on television when you were 22 years old and you talked about your reality feeling very different, uh, would, did you feel like you had a fixed mindset then? Did you use oh, those words? Oh my gosh, yeah. did I ever. I had a fixed mindset, but I also had a running dialogue. Yes, you, you said it was the harshest voice was your own, as it often is, that inner critic. Yeah. And what self, was the voice saying yeah, negative, to you? Yeah, ne negative self-talk. It was, it was very much... I, I, when I, uh, I often do, um, workshops with teenagers on the subject of confidence and I will show them the earpiece that I used to wear when I was on TV and it plugged into a receiver. And I will tell them that I, in that ear, while I was talking to the camera, I could hear people talking to me and it can be very distracting because you know you're delivering to the audience but you can also hear the director in your ear for instance saying oh we just lost our guest in Fredericton or or oh, our reporter on on the Miramichi uh, doesn't have the report ready yet the problem developed and so we have to we have to shift and so that can be very distracting but mm. i always say to them that uh, the other voice that was in my head was my own, which was saying things like, that was a stupid thing to say. Mm. And, and, oh my God, I can't believe you. I can't believe you did, did that. Can't believe you said that. Oh, don't make another mistake. And it was like a running soundtrack criticizing me. Mm. And it was, you know, it was my own negative self-talk. Mm. And when you say you felt eyes on me at all times, TV on and off, was that imposed or did you feel like you were being more watchful as this you know, you probably had a, a level of celebrity. I mean, you it broadcast it to a quarter of a million people nightly. Yeah, that's actually, and I know that that you took that number from my bio I gave you, but that's that's a low number because for much of the time I was there, actually, um, we had three hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand viewers, so mm. we were the number one show, often, usually, east of Montreal, and. Wow. That meant, uh, uh, you know, big frog, small pond thing was true for me. And that was a gift in many ways, because I remember very fondly being able to go into any part of the maritime region. And, and Dana, if you, if you honestly do remember me on TV, you remember we used to do a show called Celebrate the Maritimes. Mm. And we would go to the Miramichi, we would go to PEI, to Charlottetown, we would go, uh, you know, to small areas uh, in Nova Scotia, all over the Maritimes, and host our show from there, and celebrate the region and celebrate what's so beautiful about our region. And I had the beautiful experience, and so did my co-hosts, of being able to go into any community, really, in the Maritimes and feel like I was at home because mm -hmm. everyone felt like they knew us. Yeah. And that was actually the, if, if uh, someone asked me last week, um, they were with me and it's a friend who I, I have now who is from away and isn't familiar with, you know, what I used to do so much. And someone came up to us um, 
uh, last year and she was telling the story that someone came up and they were like, oh, I feel like I know you. And they gave me a hug. And, and she was just going, whoa, you know, you didn't even know that person. And I said, that's the that's the embrace mm. that I was that I received from the region on my whole chapter of television. And and that's a beautiful thing. You know, I could walk into a party anywhere (laughs) on the East coast and feel totally at home because everybody felt like they knew me. And so that's a beautiful thing, but it's also, it's also, you know, a fishbowl thing Mm. so that anywhere I went, I also had the strange experience of walking into a restaurant, for instance, (laughs) and having heads turn to look at me and watch me anywhere I went. I found that. Mm. And it's, I feel awkward saying that because it sounds like, oh, I was something special. That That's not about me. That's about the power of television mm. and how well known our show was. And the fact that our show as well was, you know, folksy and, and it was meant to, to feel like we were talking directly to you mm-hmm. at home. So, so that could be as a, as a young person who was already insecure and acting like I was confident. Yeah. <laughs> that is a that's a tough thing. I, I used to have a boyfriend in my twenties who um had an expression uh that was born of the fact I I would just sort of put blinders on and not pay attention to it because it 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 was just, you know, it's really hard. If someone would come and talk to me, I would I would acknowledge them and of course um be generous and and speak with them. But I I wasn't ever looking around because it would freak me out at how many people were watching me. And he would say that when we would walk through a crowd, he would walk behind me. (laughs) And he used to say it's like like walking in her wake (laughs) because people would pretend that they weren't, you know, they would just walk by me and then they would turn as soon as I walked by and say to their friend, that's Nancy Reagan. (laughs) And and he always thought that was hilarious because he saw something different than I did. (laughs) Anyway, all of that to say, um, not that I was a big deal by any means, but the power of television was such that it meant that a lot of eyes were on me. and, And I certainly felt that all the time. So it, it contributed to um, being too aware mm. of myself and too too worried about other people's judgments. And Did you feel like you um, had to maintain a certain persona when you're out? You described as a fishbowl that you were afraid that people were going to see a side of you that would sort of bust the folksy image that you projected on screen? I think I, it wasn't so much as that. It wasn't like I was really a punk rocker <laughs> in in disguise wanting to go to raves or anything. But um, but I just felt like I needed to live up to expectations. And I haven't thought about it in a long time. But, you know, I even had it in my contract. I, I wasn't supposed to change my hair without without discussing it. Oh, and, really? and one of the times that the switchboard just about broke down was the day I cut my hair from long hair to to really short and the switchboard operator after that show when I went on with short hair I went out and she looked at me she said you owe me a drink (laughs) I said what what do you what do you mean and she said you wouldn't believe the number of people called that called and she said the good news is 
half of them love your hair. <laughs> and the bad news is the other half hate it. They can't believe you cut it. <laughs> so literally on wa a watchful eye the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's enough about, that's enough about uh, my, my quote unquote fame. Yeah. But I do, I do, I do, as you can tell, I, I always try to make the distinction between it being about me mm -hmm. and, and really about the power of television is crazy. And, and I think, I think what I realized was that sometimes often people who work on television get a big ego. Mm. And as you know, and I know ego is really a very um, shallow thing and it's 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 really you know the surface of someone who has deep insecurity and the thing is if you have insecurity and you a lot of performers do right yeah. whether it's tv or radio or or stage um it's we're kind of notorious for it for some reason there's a there's a two two sides to us that we're insecure but we also have a type of confidence that enables us to do it right so it's a it's a weird dichotomy. Mm -hmm. While you were on television, you said that actually as you aged, uh, your insecurities mounted and your hunger for external praise grew alongside your fear of criticism. And I was just curious, how did that hunger for praise show up? Was that during the time you were on the show or just in general in life? Well, television or performance of any kind is, you know, people who have ego can easily get carried away with uh, the praise that they get and the and the um, positive affirmation that they get from other mm -hmm. people. And so if you feel the way I see it now is if you feel a deficit of of confidence um, or you don't feel your own light, as I put it now, mm. um, it feels good to have someone shining a spotlight on you and to yeah. say, oh, you're fabulous. You're fabulous. But it's all very short lived. Mm -hmm. So it feels good in the moment, but it doesn't actually light you up. No, that's my metaphor. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't ignite your own light. It's it's very much an external light that's being shone on you. And the way I see it now, Dana, is that if you know, it's not until you actually discover your own light and your own worth and your own uh, sense of really who you are and a comfort with it that you can relax and enjoy life. Mm. And that's, that's a big theme for me now because it's, it's the journey I'm on and I, I feel really comfortable in my own skin. I'm not, you know, before I sat down to do this conversation with you today, the old paradigm that I used to live in would have had me worrying about what am I going to say? What's she going to ask me? What can I contribute of value? What if I make a mistake? All those ideas that are based in scarcity mm. and concern that I'm not enough. And the new paradigm that I'm relieved and grateful and, and so happy to be living in is very different than that. And it's, it's rooted in uh, a knowing that I am enough, mm. even if I make a mistake, even if I don't say anything that you find particularly interesting or, 
or worthwhile, I'm still enough. Mm. And that can't change. No matter how much I bomb in this interview, it doesn't change my enoughness. Mm. And for me, that's, that's pretty huge. Yeah. So it means that I'm just, I, I just have so much more trust in myself, in the world. I know that I'm just going to show up. And, and for me, that's a very big theme these days mm. is showing up instead of showing off. Right. So showing off in my mind is about being concerned about how others are going to see us and judge us mm. and, and acting accordingly and, and having that at the, you know, a, as a sort of on the back burner at all times. And showing up is just showing up in the moment and being who I really am. And I, it doesn't, no offense, but it doesn't matter if you like me. Mm. I'm, I'm thrilled. You know, if, if you're happy to have me as a guest, I'm really privileged. I feel, I feel it's a, it's a, an honor. I love what you're doing in the world. Um, you're doing exactly what I'm focusing my podcast in. Mm. What I say is, you know, my podcast is about uh, having conversations with people who are living their lives in inspiring ways, helping others and bringing light mm. and you are bringing light. And, and so I'm really happy to be on your podcast, but at the same time, I don't place any, of my value in your hands. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I totally get it. And, and that's a journey over time. And how, how, when did you come to that realization? I know it's probably not a moment, but did you have that kind of awareness when you're on the show or was, because you said you left the show and you're going to embark on an authentic journey. Did you know when you left the show 15 years later that you were embarking on the journey of your authentic self? Yeah, I did. Actually, did I didn't, I didn't. Well, I mean, let me, let me say that in a different way. I had no idea that I was in, I had the journey that I have had in store for me, mm. but I knew that I needed to find some authenticity in my life because I felt like I was going through the motions. I had been there for 15 years. I'd been there since I was 22 years old. And I was in a situation then where I was uh, working with a particular colleague who was just a bundle of negative energy. That was my experience of it anyway. And I just was finding that I was really challenged. And I was just going in every day with positive energy and walking out the door, just totally drained and feeling a lot of negative energy. So it was it was the right thing for me to leave when I did. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy in that there were lots of things I missed, of course, but but it was the it was the right move at the right time for me. You're coming in with positivity and leaving a little bit more drained than when you showed up. Oh, yeah, a lot more drained. I was feeling the negative energy. And what I didn't realize then is that I am a classic empath mm. and I am like a sponge if I'm not careful. And then before you realize you're an empath, you can really 
uh, suck in everybody's negative energy without being aware of that and not know why you feel so drained and tired or unhappy or stressed or anxious. Right. And I just wasn't uh, that self-aware at that point. Mm. And so I... Yeah. So I, when I left, it was time for me to leave. I felt by then I was really just putting on an act a little bit. And yet, you know, at the same time, I still loved my viewers who were so kind to me uh, to the, to the extent, if you can imagine Dana, when I had my first baby, I received in the mail handmade sweaters i received Mm. little mittens baby booties i got quilts i it it absolutely blew me away and i think before then i didn't really understand how how much i had sort of become a part of people's lives i was Mm. like the girl next door yes and so that was really humbling actually and so i i missed that and i to tell you the truth, I felt guilty when I left because I realized one day, oh, I've got a lot of guilt because everywhere I went, people kept saying, oh, my parents or my grandparents are so sad that you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And that combined with all those people, all those years telling me, oh, you have supper with us every night and we feel like we know you. It made me feel like I was letting them down. Mm. And, and you know, I was, that that was a big thing for me is wanting to get that um, not only sense of approval, but also do the right thing for people. And, and uh, so part of me struggled with leaving and another part of me knew it was time. It was mm. just, you know, it had been 15 years and I was ready to, to move on. So by that time when you left, you were in your late 30s? Or yes. mid thirties, yeah. I think I was thirty eight when yeah. I left, yeah. and then and then you know you you start the you start the um, uh, path toward authenticity in one mm. part of your life, and it it tends to spread and consume <laughs> yeah. all of your life. Yeah, it sneaks I, into all I, areas. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I did I did end up getting a divorce after that, and I have a wonderful ex-husband. I I always say I have the world's best (laughs) ex-husband and I have a fantastic divorce. I'm really blessed. I have, uh, I, I find that people are often blown away when I say one of my, one of the most important people in my life is my (laughs) (laughs) stepwife, which is what I call my ex-husband's wife. And, you know, she's helped raise my kids mm. since um, since she came into my first husband's life when the kids were young. So I yeah. So that was also a whole part of that. You know, sometimes your life's got to blow up before you can mm. get back on track. Yes. And and I blew it up a little bit. Um, but it was it was all, you know. I think it was all part of the plan for me in some way. It all taught me. And, and like every really difficult experience of my life, I can look back and be grateful for what it gave me and what Mm. I learned from it and how it helped me become who I am. Mm. Was there um, a, a particular event or a time in your life when 
I guess maybe you became a secret or became awakened. That's a, I know that's a journey. So you're, you're, you've left CTV at this point. And what was next for you? Or how did you feel like you found the authentic Nancy? What did that path look like for you? You said books was a big part of it every time you, you yeah, know, needed a book. Books but... were part of it. And going to a friend of mine introduced me to the Kripalu mm-hmm. uh, the Kripalu Center for yeah. Yoga and Health, which is in the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts. And it sort of became a, a, a soul home for me. Mm. The first time I went, I had a kind of major shift in in understanding and and feeling like I knew myself and accepted myself. I guess I, I guess you could say I I left a lot of baggage there that mm. I didn't even know I was carrying. Wow. I just put it down. And, and then I really became so much more interested in this, in this spiritual path. Mm. And what turned you on to that? Well, I think, you know, partly the Kripalu center, Mm -hmm. uh, partly books. I, I will say that, um, Wayne Dyer Mm -hmm. has had a big impact on my life Mm. And I had, you know, I read something of his fairly early on, but I worked with him just a few years ago, the year that he died. Yes. And Wayne Dyer, for anyone who, who doesn't know the name right away, although I figure anyone who listens to your podcast to this community, does. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I had, he, you know, he, a, a lot of people who don't know the name right away, if you say, you know, Wayne Dyer was on PBS. He used to do those talks about self-awareness, self-actualization. Self, um, and they go, oh, that that guy, the mm. bald guy. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, I am astounded by what he achieved while he was here in terms of opening up people to this kind of a path mm-hmm. and and I had the really great honor of working with him the just a few months before his death actually he died in August and I yeah. I worked with him on a tour my friends Anne and Paul uh, Anne Berube who is yes. a teacher of mine and a, mm-hmm. and a dear dear friend and Paul McInnes, her husband, um, were event producers. Paul still is. And they were Wayne's favorite producers in Canada, for sure, probably mm. in the world. Um, and he had a very close relationship to Anne. He considered her a daughter. Mm. And so they asked me to help out with this tour of Eastern Canada. And I just absolutely jumped in with both feet, was so excited and was so excited to to meet him, excited is not the right word. I was just so um, inspired, mm. and and then Anne and I—that was in April, May—and then in June, Anne and I went to Maui for a writers' workshop. It was uh, sort of a, a gift of hers. She she got me into it for free. We flew to Maui, and it was being anchored by Wayne. He was the main author Mm -hmm. and it was just down the beach from where he lives actually Mm -hmm. or lived lives probably is a proper way to put it i'm (laughs) sure i'm pretty sure he's still Still there on on maui (laughs) several years after his death um because he loved it so much and 
And it was just an extraordinary trip. And Anne and I had dinner with Wayne two nights while we were there um, with a group of people from Hay House, which is the publishing company that uh, that mm-hmm. you're probably aware yes. of that Louise Hay mm-hmm. uh, established. And Louise is another person who has left us who really had a big impact. I remember when I first found her book, You Can Heal Your Life. Yes. And, and it was, yeah, and it was one of those books that someone put in my hands at just the right time. And it opened up my eyes to a much broader way of looking at, at life mm-hmm. and, and myself, I guess. It's so true. Wayne you- had a big impact on many people, myself included, and I got to see him on his last tour when he came in Moncton. So, um, and I was so sad when he had passed and, you know, someone that I didn't know, but wished had were able to continue his his teachings but of course they live on but yeah yes and Anne would say I love I love hearing her say this that as much grief as she had when he died she will say now that that she feels that his work his medicine is much more powerful in the world today than it was when he was here so it's like he outgrew the world that's a great way of putting it yeah, and his he he outgrew the confines of the of his physical mm. existence, and and in dying, you know, his work took on a whole new level of of um, prevalence in mm. the world as well, and that's that's really beautiful to see because so much of his work is is helpful, you know, it brings light, as I say, mm-hmm. and his final book was I Can See Clearly Now. Mm-hmm. And if for anyone in the audience who hasn't read anything of Wayne Dyer's, I really recommend it as a starting point because true. it sort of knit together everything he ever um, taught and believed and and where and it really you know represents where his journey brought him mm-hmm. as well. There are there are certain books throughout his his path is littered of book with books that he wrote himself and there are some that he grew out of you know some some understandings that shifted and yes. and beliefs that uh, transitioned from from one level to another but i think that last book really represented a lot of of where he landed before mm-hmm. he died i agree what what have you come to learn about your own light Oh boy, that's um, that's a lovely question. I I'm a great admirer of lovely questions. <laughs> D- lovely, difficult questions, heavy yeah, questions. No, I really am. I I just yes. want to I just want to explain. I want to um, tell you about a little aside. Um, a few year, a few weeks ago, Steve Murphy was interviewing Stephen McNeil, mm-hmm. and. I have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Steve. I think he's excellent at what he does and a terrific guy. He's celebrating a big milestone, having been with CTV for a long time. And and Paul Menier is another old co-host of mine who is just so terrific to work with. Um, and Steve said in that interview with Stephen McNeil, it was all, you know, lots of tough conversation pieces they were mm-hmm. they were focusing on and very much about numbers and covid and and the economy and so on and then at the at the end of the interview steve all of a sudden said 
And, and how are you, Mr. Premier? Mm, I saw that. And it was, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it took my breath away. Mm-hmm. I was like, and as a former interviewer and broadcaster, I was like, oh yes, Steve. Cause it just took it to such a human level. And I could feel the beat where Premier McNeil was sort of taken aback, but it was beautiful because it elicited from him a very human, emotional Mm -hmm. reaction, which was just truthful, you know, and it was really a lovely moment. So anyway, so that's my example of why I I love, I love um, beautiful and, and well, well articulated questions. Mm -hmm. And it's also an example of how I like to deflect. (laughs) (laughs) So coming back around, Nancy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You noticed I, uh, I can deflect with the with the best of them, Dana. Don't yeah. you worry about it. So, so, so your question. Yeah. What have um, you learned about your light? What What have you learned about that space within? Or yeah, I'll tell you what I've learned about my light is that it is really strong, mm. and the more time I spend with it and and nurturing it and I think of it like a a fire Mm. um if I don't stoke that fire then it can die down and you know that's that's part of our journey too isn't it I mean we all sometimes we remember who we are and as Wayne used to say you know we're not we're not uh physical beings who have spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings who are here having a physical experience. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yep. And sometimes we can really get mired in the small stuff and, and sweat the small stuff, as the book said. And uh, and we forget, you know, yeah. that we are light. Mm. And then we remember again. And that's part of our part of our path. Mm. It's we're I think we're meant to forget and remember. And every time we remember it gets a little stronger maybe. Mm. And but when you I remember, do, find... do you think that's part of our um, awareness or consciousness? Like, I feel like, because yeah. I know, like, when we sleep, these two selves, you know, I call it the highest self and the ego, and we're slipping back and mm-hmm. forth. Between, and and so, you know, I think when we slip back to that ego, we slip out of our light, and then, you know, we can realign. You're like, right, this is where I'm supposed to be in this beautiful, loving place. And, re- and, yeah. and, and for me, it's always, you know, the... The speed with which I can return to that space is a sign of my spiritual maturity. Uh, if I if I slip out of gear, and I catch myself quickly, you know, before I wasn't even aware that there was two selves, you know, right. that there was a separation, exactly. and that's to me is the awakening when you recognize there's that space between that we actually have yeah. a safe place that we can go within, you know. That's and a- and Dana, I think I think that's so well put, and I think that this pandemic shutdown has enabled a lot of people to to spend time working on that and understanding that in a deeper way now of course there's been uh, there's been a very different set of challenges for people who are out working Mm -hmm. in in essential services and nurses and doctors and truck drivers and you know janitors in hospitals and and all those people who are who are having the experience of the pandemic that it's it's a lot of stress and it's fear based and and you know it's a whole other it's a whole other experience but then there are people like me who have been 
really incredibly fortunate to be safe and just mm-hmm. locked in. And when I hear people complaining about being bored, I'm like, no, no, you can't, you can't say that out loud. Like, you know, if you're home safe and you don't have to go out and, and yeah. risk anything and mm-hmm. you don't have to go work and, and you're not worried about keeping someone else alive, uh, then, then you're privileged. And yes. I have felt very privileged during this pandemic lockdown and have felt that I've really shifted in terms of understanding um, how to stay rooted in in that enoughness and that light. Mm. And, you know, the other the other way I describe it and I am a metaphor junkie (laughs) is um, and I when I I mentioned I do workshops sometimes with teenagers. I talk about a dimmer. So, you know, a dimmer Mm -hmm. switch. Yeah. And I think that as children, you watch babies and toddlers, you watch toddlers and they're so full of their own light and they just couldn't care less who's watching them or judging them. They just will twirl around. They, you know, they're loud. And then as we grow, we, we tend to, we get the messages, be quiet, behave, be Mm -hmm. still. And we tend to worry more about how other people are judging us. And by the time kids enter their early teen years, they have really turned down that dimmer light. And then the teen years almost turn it off. You know, if you turn a dimmer switch all the way, it seems like the light is off. There's actually a light there, but they don't even know it. Mm. And for many of us, you know, it takes us quite a few years and sometimes decades before we yes. get to a point where we discover, oh, that, there's a light there. <laughs> and we turn it up. And and I find, for me, finally answering your question, uh, <laughs> if I spend time, if I spend time in meditation, mm-hmm. uh, but don't get me wrong, I spend a lot more time thinking that I should be meditating <laughs> than actually meditating. I think we all do. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, But if I if I give myself stillness and time to just be and I actually spend some time writing Mm. or walking in nature, that reconnects me. And it it definitely allows me to turn up my dimmer light. Mm. And I think, you know, I know that I'm I'm not special in that I have that light. I think that's a divine light I think we're all part of Mm. a divine light and so we all have this spark within us and and I mean all of us so you know we celebrate celebrity in our culture and and so we look at celebrities in Hollywood and think they're such a big deal and and the one thing I've learned and having interviewed a lot of them I I guess that's helped me that we are all the same Mm. and we all no matter you know how famous we are or a frog, big frog in a small pond or a big frog in a big pond uh, or someone who has no fame or notoriety at all we're all the same and we have insecurities and we have you know we have idiosyncrasies and we have fears and we all just need to take that same journey to understanding oh huh I've got this light within me and I'm okay. I'm, I'm perfect as I am and I don't need to perform and Mm -hmm. I don't need approval to make me okay. I just need to get comfortable being. Mm. And you, you probably know, I mentioned down Bay Bay, my friend who, Mm -hmm. who wrote the beautiful book, be, feel, think, do. 
And it's as simple as her concept that those are four things we all do, be, feel, think, do, but we do them in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do mostly we're all, it's a doing culture. And that's one of these things. One of the things that this lockdown hopefully will shift a little bit because when we are always focused on doing, we don't give ourselves a chance to think it affects how we think our thinking is, is, um, disjointed and it's distracted. And that means that we almost never give ourselves a chance to feel mm. and virtually never just be. And Anne feels if you just flip those four words to a different order, mm. the reverse order, and you make a point of giving yourself time and space in your life to just be Mm. and be yourself and and be comfortable with your own light that totally changes how you feel which impacts how you think and then that changes how you act in the world mm. and so that's that that was a big game changer for me too yeah. and's been a big a big game changer for me both yes. my friendship with her and and her teaching yes and yeah. she, and she introduced me to Wayne. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I know I've seen Anne speak and Wayne and together on the same stage and yeah. And we just have all these amazing teachers around us. Some famous, some some more local. But it's always amazing to me, and I guess hence these conversations is uh, every time we have a, you know I have a conversation with someone, there's a a little nugget, there's a revelation of. Um, you know, you realize you're not alone. Someone else went on this journey too, you know, because yeah. it, it, it you, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what you just brought up for me mm-hmm. and I, I didn't uh, intend to share this, but I'm, I'm committed to vulnerability and authenticity, mm-hmm. as you've said. And I, I want to share with you an image that I had in a, in a meditation I did do yesterday. I was doing a chakra meditation, a guided meditation, yes. which is definitely um, the easiest thing for me because I have a very busy little monkey mind that mm-hmm. likes to jump all over the place. So I find guided meditations really wonderful. Um, and this in this meditation... I had the beautiful experience near the end of maybe 33 minutes. I think it was 33 minutes long. Of there was a drum beat mm-hmm. just in the background of the of the soundtrack, and the it it sort of came more into my awareness as I was coming closer to the end of the meditation, and I had this visual of sitting in a circle like an Aboriginal circle Mm -hmm. and a fire in the middle and a light. So this chakra meditation often uses, you know, a light, as you know, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. uh, like a a tunnel of light. Tunnel is not the word I'm looking for, but uh, uh, either a spiral or the, you know, the image of light within us Mm -hmm. traveling up and down from our crown chakra to our, to our sacrum. Anyway, our root chakra and the the visual that I had, this beautiful image was of sitting in the circle and being one of a a large number of people in the circle. And then on an in-breath, I would breathe in and we would all move into the light, into the middle. And it wasn't a fire anymore. It was just a light, pure light. Mm. And we would all move into the light on the in-breath and all move out back into our place in the circle on the out-breath and into the light. And 
of course, when we moved into the light, we were all connected. We were all part of that light. Mm. And it's, it was just a really powerful, lovely experience and just, you know, confirmed further for me what I believe is true. And I, I love, it's weird to say I love something about this pandemic, but I do love the flip side of it. You know, joy and grief, I believe, are flip sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, this pandemic has flip sides um, and the, fl the beautiful flip side is the, the compassion, the kindness, the connection that has become so apparent and has, I think, changed a lot of people's lives, hopefully, hopefully for good. Mm. But I, I just it's so it's been so inspiring to me and especially because I feel that's how we are. I believe that we are all connected. Mm. And the more we can support each other and recognize the divine, you know, in yoga, they say namaste, which is the light in me recognizes or honors the light in you. Yes. And the more we can live that way, the, the better off we all are. And right now it feels like we've made this gargantuan step towards living that way in a in a concrete way mm. so I, I really I really hope we hold on to that <laughs> yes well it certainly feels like something is forcing us to stop and saying enough in, in, a, in a lot of different ways and so by being isolated into in our different homes there's certainly an opportunity there to go inward if you know where to find that light if you know where to um to find that conscious space within you and um and have like these images that you're having when you do a guided meditation, that beautiful, beautiful image. Why do you think that image came up for you in that guided meditation? Do you, did you think about what that represented in terms of people being together or? Well, I find that I find uh, sacred circles mm. are very powerful. Mm. I feel, you know, whenever I've done a, a yoga retreat I shouldn't say yoga I'm not a big yogini I do just enough to be dangerous um but I do I love have loved retreats for a long time and anytime I put myself in the vulnerable space of a retreat and I do think there there is um a necessary element of, of vulnerability when you do a retreat and and this is a space that I'm moving into and I want to I want to conduct retreats of my own mm. and it and for me it's about coaching other people to feel their own light and to embrace their own light and I, I came up with that one day I think it was um in the middle of a podcast actually I was like oh yeah I want to be a light a light coach yeah. like not a life coach yeah although, a light you know, coach it, yes a light coach yeah I, I like that idea a lot yeah. because I know, I know what a difference it made, right. it has made in my life. And, and that's, it's powerful. Mm. And, and as we step into our own light, we can step into service and know that, you know what, I, I have the power and ability to serve. We all do. And I, I think that's one thing about this pandemic, no matter, no matter what your role has been, 
we've all been called to service in some way. Mm. And even if it's just, you know, my 84 year old mom is with me in quarantine and, and I've loved watching her sort of nurture some of her friends who are shut-ins and who, you know, don't have people visiting them. And she spends a lot of time calling them. And last week she sent them some flowers. And and that is being of service, you know, helping them to maintain a a feeling of connection. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we can all do so much. I I told you that uh, I've been writing some I've been writing a lot of poetry actually mm-hmm. yeah. in, um, in lockdown. I've, I've been in a bit of a creative vortex and I, has that always been wrote, true for you? Have you always been a um, poet? No. Well, I've always, I've, I've always liked writing poetry, but have not given myself the time and space right. uh, to use a phrase that I used a little while ago. Uh, and I, you know, I had a grandmother Rose Regan, who was a poet, and she died before I was born. And I'm telling you, I feel like she is sitting with me, uh, forcing words through me at times mm. in this uh, in this quarantine. Not forcing, but but feeding. Mm. And and that's been an interesting experience because um, some of my poems have uh, I haven't shared a lot of them. But I've shared a few that I just, I, I really believe in my own, as you say, higher self. I know my own higher self knowing when I feel it. Mm. And there have been times when I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to share this poem. And uh, a couple of Fridays ago, after the horrific shootings in Nova Scotia, I wrote a poem and I, I had already posted a poem earlier that week with a map of Nova Scotia and it got shared I think 5,000 times and that was it was just short poem um, but it was about our collective grief and how we're all connected and and that taught me that um, I was willing to be vulnerable and put myself out there put my poem out there Mm -hmm. even though I didn't really want to and it showed me that it was healing to some others it, because yeah. my po- my poems really are just a way of healing for myself. Mm. And what I've gotten back as a message is that other people experience a, a sense of healing sometimes with them as well. So I got up on the Friday and I wrote a poem right away. I, mean, I didn't write it. It just fell through me. I don't even take credit for it, really. <laughs> it's just it's like I'm just a tool right, it just falls medium. through me mm-hmm. honestly um but I give it the time and space to fall through and I very quickly had this sense that oh you know what I need to put this on video and there was a part of me it's like that, those two parts you know the higher self yeah. and the ego self and my ego self was like no what are you talking about yeah. <laughs> you've got self-cut hair <laughs> I look like Casey. I look like Casey from Mr. Dress Up. I've been cutting my own hair. Um, and, and you know, you don't want to put yourself out there. That's yeah. too much. But my my deeper knowing said, yeah, it's, it's going to be helpful somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that I knew and I know that my profile can be a, a tool. 
And in this case, it was. And I, I put it out and it was uh, it was shared a lot. And I got a lot of, it makes me emotional. It I got a lot of um, comments that mm. it's... Uh, that it meant something to people and, and helped them mm. and was healing for them as well. So that's, that's beautiful. And it, yes. it's humbling on an ego level. Mm. Um, but on a, on a divine spark level, it's just part of what I'm here to do. I think, mm. you know, I, I think I'm supposed to be in service. Yes. And so that's, that just makes sense. Yeah. So in your, in your piece to um, be of service, you know, say you're coaching others to step into their own light. Um, how are you doing that? Do you, do you have a, as P, is it a business or is it people that you see struggling and you help them or? Um, well, it's, it, I'm allowing, I'm allowing there. That's, that's actually the best word. <laughs> I'm allowing it to evolve. Yeah. I, I, I did Anne Bervais. She, you can tell she's a powerful teacher in my life because yes. I invoked her name three times. Uh, lucky number three. I did her embodied leadership course and she is a very powerful coach, spiritual coach basically. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, um, the template that I am moving forward with. And, you know, that's a process of saying, yes, I'm ready. And, and there is the, the, the small minded part of me, the ego mind says, Oh, no, you can't put yourself out there. And yet, I, I'm doing it already with people on a a one on one basis without there being a structure around it. So, you know, before long, I'll, I'll put it on my website and I'll be, I'll be doing it in a more structured way right now. I'm just, I'm just doing it. I'm just showing up and, uh, and helping some people who are our friends, uh, and in difficult roles go through this pandemic. And that feels like, uh, a contribution that you know is is a privilege to make yeah i have a few it's about people yeah. you know it's about it's about um giving people roots for their tree it's another metaphor for me and i feel like if i'm a tree i had a very powerful experience one time in a breathing workshop a breath workshop where you end up going into this really you do deep breaths and then you go into this weird sort of trance state and I had a a beautiful vision of being a tree with my roots uh, rooted into the ground but the women that I've lost and unfortunately there have been too many many of them um, holding on to my roots from below like Mm -hmm. their arms were part of my root system and they are holding my roots and their message was we've got you Mm. so you can grow and you can reach out and serve and that so that's really you know that's really stayed with me mm. uh, and I'm and I'm I feel compelled to tell you that um, one of the women uh, who has left us who is holding my roots all the time and giving me strength to to grow is my friend Audrey Parker who you may have been aware of before her death a year and uh a half ago she was a she became a national uh, celebrity in some ways because she was dying of cancer and she um, chose to do assisted um, death yes. so she she chose to to choose her own time 
And she was in, you know, enormous amounts of pain. And she really felt it was an important fight Yes. in order for, she felt that she could fight on other people's behalf. And she and her, her end of life was exactly what she wanted. She wanted it to be the way she chose it to be. Mm. It was beautiful and peaceful. And she ended up dying before she needed to go before, before she would have left naturally because she was making a point because there was a, there was a flaw in the legislation and uh, Audrey's amendment, which came out of that has actually um, gone forward and is in front of lawmakers now. So it's a, that's gratifying, but, but a lot of people will know of Audrey's story. She inspired many, many people across the country And whether you believe in that kind of end of life procedure or not, um, she she was a really incredible human who was totally inspired by her ability to be in service to others before she departed Mm. this physical plane, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I do. I do remember her story. Mm, beautiful. I just yeah. have a couple of last questions for you. Rapid fire questions. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, easy. <laughs> what do you love most about your life now? Oh my gosh. The, the women mm. in my life. I would say that, uh, I don't know. Now you're the rapid fire questions. I don't know if you want them to be rapid fire answers, <laughs> but I, I want to contextualize that by saying that when I was young, I did not have really deep, rich, conver- uh, not conversations, relationships with mm. women. And I think I, because, you know, I didn't, I wasn't confident. I felt insecure and threatened or whatever. And I, and I wasn't, as Brene Brown says, in order to have authentic connection, we have to be willing to be show our authentic selves and, yes. and be vulnerable. And without that level of, allowing ourselves to be seen, we can't really connect. And that's been a big learning in my life. And I am, I've come, wow, you know, 180 degrees. I just have the most rich, wonderful, supportive relationships with sisters who, sister women, who I, who I consider soul sisters is what I was going to say. And so the name of your podcast totally resonated with me when you contacted me, it was like, yep, that Mm -hmm, makes sense. mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, what does the world need most? Feminine energy. Hmm is my answer. And that's not to say it doesn't need masculine energy, but I think it needs a much better balance. Mm. I think we've been out of balance for a long time. And I think the feminine brings in uh, a softness and a wisdom Mm. and it steps out of the, the uh, um, model of scarcity. It uh, steps into compassion and and generosity and all of those things can be embodied by men i think that uh i think that liz gilbert when i interviewed her last spring put it so beautifully you know father energy is that is that 
um, you got this and you can do this kid and, and motivation and all that. And mother energy is holding you and saying, I've got you and Mm. it's okay. And, and, and I loved, I loved the, uh, I encourage people to tune that in if they get a chance, because I've had so many people and that it's not meant to be self-promotion, but I'll tell you my conversation with Liz Gilbert last year, changed me I really feel it shifted me and and a lot of people told me how powerful it was there's something about the wisdom that she put forth in that conversation Uh, it was just really powerful and a big part of it was the concept of yes and yes and Mm. and that represents you know what I've come to so she said when her partner was dying was she was she the most compassionate, generous caregiver, or was she a total neurotic narcissist caught in her own shit? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes and yes. <laughs> and both are yeah. true. Mm-hmm. And and when we when we look at ourselves that way, with that sort of acceptance that, you know, there's a we're not just one thing. We're a lot of things and it's all okay. And we can change and we can shift, but we don't need to walk through life with 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 a, a whip <laughs> hitting right, ourselves right. for being things we don't want to be. Sure. And I, I also think it's really powerful in terms of how we walk through the world looking at others, because if we boil them down to um, that's what this person is, black and white. They're mm. they're in this box. That person's in that box. We, we as human beings, we love to put people and keep people in boxes. Mm. And, and I think it's important to understand that we're all so many things and some of them are perceived as good and some as bad. And I, I think that we're all wounded and we're all just different degrees of wounded. And there are, there are people who do horrific things Mm. that are very offensive and hurtful. And I look at them and think, how did they get that wounded? That's my inquiry. It's like, wow, mm. how does anyone get that wounded? Yeah. And and I try to move into a sense of compassion. And that's not to say that what they did is okay, but it's it's to try to understand that, you know, we are all we are all light. Mm. And we get separated from our light. But um, it's it's all about uh, helping each other embrace our own light. I think. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. We talked long about- answers to short questions. Yeah, right? no, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> we talked about you sharing some poetry to end the conversation. Do you have a piece that you would like to to leave the audience with? Oh yeah. Is there a- yeah? I'd love to. Um, Since you're living in uh, vulnerability and authenticity. <laughs> yeah, okay, I will. And I'll tell you, I think I might do two of them. How do you feel about that? Yeah, go for it. Um, this is because this is one that I wrote really early uh, when this whole thing started. When you say this whole thing, you mean the pandemic? This this whole lock, lockdown, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um and and it, it was because I just started writing and I couldn't stop. And it goes like this. And and I always say, this is this is a disclaimer. Uh, my poetry is not gonna win any big literary awards. It's very simple. Like it's you mm-hmm. know, a ten year old me could have written it, but it's it's 
very straightforward and it's very much from the heart and soul Mm. and it's healing for me. Mm. So this one says this tornado that is COVID swirls around my head, hurling words and phrases demanding to be said written down or spoken loud. They need to be released. I grab my pen and paper in the hopes of some relief. This storm is witnessed by my heart and it does what it does best. It knits a net of love and throws it up into the tempest. Then gathering the mess, it holds it warm and tight, allowing calm to settle in and bathing it all in light. The words then start to breathe again and assemble themselves in line, spelling out a message as much yours as it is mine. Mm. And that is just about that first week Mm. of lockdown where I was feeling this extraordinary anxiety Mm. and just, you know, my heart was racing and my head was swirling and I was listening to too much news and, and, oh boy. And, and so that's how I started to process it is, is, is writing poetry. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And your second one? And my second one, um, it's like picking children. It's really hard, you know? Um, my second one is, um, my second one I'm going to do is called Good Friday. Mm. And I wrote it on Good Friday. And it's about that feeling that people were getting by then of being locked down and that weirdness, you know? Mm-hmm. And it goes... Is this a prison or a nest? Don't let my mind decide. Pose the question to my heart. Why am I trapped inside? Is this a sentence or a gift? A death or a rebirth? The answer comes. It's both, my love, for us and for the earth. Like Passover and Easter, the duality of faith calls me to embrace the joy with tears still on my face. Gratitude is my best friend. She's wise and she is strong. She picks me up and carries me when everything goes wrong. Endings give me fear. Beginning can as well. The choice is mine to live this life in heaven or in hell. So I'll eat till I'm full, cry till I'm done, sleep till I awaken, rise and greet the sun. So that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, Thanks. I, I I think uh, a lot of people will resonate with that more than anybody else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's therapeutic. Is it not to write? It's, it is therapy Mm. for me for sure. And, and I encourage, you know, anyone out there listening can hear that those are very simple rhymes. And I believe in the same way that when I hear people say, I can't draw, Mm. or I'm not artistic, Mm. I always say that is just not true. Anyone can draw. And you have to you have to give yourself um, a moment, you have to sit down and actually allow and stop worrying about making mistakes. It's such a metaphor for life, right? And I think poetry is the same. I think we all have poetry in us. Mm. It's, it's part of that light. And and the more we can um, sit down and allow and it doesn't have to rhyme. It's, no. it's just 
you know, sit down and, and allow yourself to write, even if it's a letter to yourself, as Liz Gilbert says, you know, here she, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which has been uh, devoured by millions and millions of people all over the world. And she wrote a book that is, is one of my favorite books in the world called Big Magic, which is about our relationship (laughs) with inspiration. Mm. It's so good. So juicy. And and when she was here for her workshop, I don't know if you came to the second day of the event, but yes, she, did, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know how she she said, just write yourself a letter. Oh yeah, those write are powerful. A letter <laughs> from your fear, and you, and at, on a on an intellectual level, I remember thinking, I'm going to write a letter to myself from my fear. Really, <laughs> it was and, powerful. And her idea was it was so powerful, crazy, and, and it was about it was about a letter from your fear telling you what it's trying to communicate, mm. what it's trying to do for you. And I, I want to, that's a gift from Liz Gilbert through me to you mm. out there. If you accept the challenge, sit down with a piece of paper, give yourself some quiet, even if it's after the busyness of the day, just before you go to bed or in the early morning hours and, and, Step into that challenge and and write yourself uh, a letter, either from your fear or just write yourself a letter from from your deepest your deepest light, yes. saying what you need and what you want, how you want to be seen and heard. And you know, a lot of us feel like we're we're not seen. Mm. And the more we can be in authentic connection and, and relationship with each other, the more we can feel deeply seen and yeah so I I can't thank you enough for today because this is all you know this is all part of my practice as well Dana Mm. to to um walk the walk talk the talk and and put myself out there and there was a day when I I would have never had this kind of a conversation because I would be worried about people listening who weren't on the same page right. and who would think, what? Oh, she's crazy. And now I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the power of stepping into our authenticity and embracing it and being comfortable with who we are. And I can hear that, you know, through, through our conversation. For you. Yes, go for it. Now I'm used to asking the questions. <laughs> yeah, where's so... this going? <laughs> What do you, what do you do other than this podcast? Cause that would be the easy answer. What do you other do other than this podcast to nurture your own light? Mm, for, well, for me, uh, since you mentioned meditation, actually ever since the Elizabeth Gilbert event, I had been, I've been meditating every morning for 20 minutes. That was, it's just to get connected to my inner space um, yeah. the other thing I do is called the morning pages. I don't know if you've read the book, the artist's way by Julia Cameron, but I really love it. It's really a life yes. coaching book. And yes. that is something I, I wrote a book, uh, and released about two and a half years ago. And it was really as a result of during that time I was writing it, that I was writing these morning pages. And then I kind of got away from it in the past year or so, but I've just recently returned to it and realizing I need it in my life because 
it, the people have asked me, you know, why do you like the morning pages? And one of the things uh, that I have come to realize is these, I just write three pages every single morning. It's like a stream of consciousness. And a lot of time it's just garbage that shows up on the page. But every now and again, a nugget appears. So things like you know, titles of books or things that I mm -hmm. want to do. I, so it's all my fears and all my dreams. And when you're talking about, you know, being a medium, almost, you know, your, your Aunt Rose uh, coming through uh, during your poetry, I feel like when I'm writing the morning pages, there is a direct connection to something divine and that I trust that what shows up on the page is what's meant to show up. And by doing those morning pages, I'm building intuition. I'm building that relationship really with God in it in essence. And every morning yeah. it's like I write to God and essentially God writes back. So I, I love what shows up on the page if it's garbage or not. So that's a, a really big way that I start the day feeling grounded and staying attached to that inner space. Yeah. So that, that brings me to another metaphor that's really strong for me because I, I want to say you are a sprinkler <laughs> and and I, I see myself that way. And a sprinkler is a great tool, but unless it's plugged in to a source of yeah. water, mm. then nothing flows through it and it can't, it just sits there. It's like a paperweight. Yeah. It's when we plug in and connect to something bigger than ourselves yes. and that, that, uh, you know, tunnel of light that we're all part of or God or source or yes. whatever Where it is in it. your belief mm -hmm. system, it, unless we plug into that and connect there we don't have anything to move through us and and i and i think that our, our practices like your meditation and your writing are all ways of of making sure that we keep clumps of dirt from building up in our sprinkler so that we can just we can just you know allow ourselves to be in service mm. So I, I thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's interesting you call it clumps of dirt because I, I realize when I'm sort of agitated or if I wasn't doing the morning pages, it is really as a result of that because it was a place to release things. So I almost say, if you imagine like a tunnel, you know, almost to the divine, like a little tube. And, um, it's like when I write, it's like, I'm clearing out all the junk. I'm allows it, allowing the crazy inner critic to run its course. And it's almost like I exhaust it. And then the good stuff can show up. And Julia Cameron, who in, I guess invented this method, she will say it's around the, the page and a half mark that the good stuff shows up. And she's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I, what it is. It's getting rid of the junk. It's amazing. Isn't you know? It? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How predictable that is. Yeah. So it's, and it's like you get into it, you get into the, the groove. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's an in, incredible book and it's such a great tool. Mm. And, yeah. and, and we're all just tools, right? I say yeah. that jokingly, but I'm, I'm just a tool. We're all just tools. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, we, um, we're all these vessels with all this beautiful stuff that come, come through, but part of it is being willing to, I think, connect to that inner space so that it can flow. You know, I say for years when I wasn't awakened, I didn't realize there were two selves. I think that's what unconsciousness is. I, I think that I'm just floating through uh, life, you know, in my little meat suit here. And I wasn't aware that there was more power to be unleashed. And it wasn't until I began to see that separation. And for me, it was really uh, reading The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle that was the... I 
can't say it blew the door wide open. Wide open. It was more like it slowly creaked it open. It was like a heavy book to read, yeah. but that I began to see the light. That was a big one for me too. Yeah, I loved did it. Did you did you did you listen to uh, Oprah's conversation with him? Oh I yes, think that's what really yes. opened the door yes. for me into that. Space yes, I did sure. that a couple of times, and that's actually was the beginning. I was so excited to start that book and to watch their Skype calls, and that was a real turning point for getting on a spiritual journey. So. You know, Oprah was such, I, I interviewed Oprah uh, on her set in Chicago, uh, maybe halfway through my TV career mm. at, at ATV. And I had a long, I had the privilege of having a long conversation with her on her set. I think we, we recorded for about half an hour mm. and, um, she was so inspirational. I remember then she said, you know, from those to whom much is given, much is expected. Yes. And that really made an enormous impact on me. And you can hear it in my words today, talking about how we can be of service. Yes. But you think as well, Dana, about how she stepped out and created this space for this spiritual conversation on television at that time. That was groundbreaking. Nobody else was doing that. And the network, you know, thought she was crazy. And that's when she became big. She knew. That's when she blew up. That's right. That's when she blew up in the best ways. And I remember when that turning point, because I think I remember seeing a show where she was actually doing prayer or, or talking about the power of prayer. And I think that was really began to be the, the turning point because nobody was talking about that on network television. And uh, yeah. boy, that was a real turning point. And it showed that people are thirsty and hungry for, I think, that kind of conversation. Hence why I have this podcast, to have those kind of conversations and see what other people know. Like, what, what is it that, that helps me see that more clearly? So I thank you for having the conversation around it today because I, I always appreci- appreciate other people's journeys. You know, they're so Don't unique. You find it- oh, yeah. Thanks. Sorry. I, I'm so excited to say to ask you this, yeah. but I couldn't help but interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, don't you think it's exciting now to go? I, I don't love going to cocktail parties, but when I'm in a situation where I need to go into a space where people are indulging in a lot of small talk. Oh, I think it's really exciting to just go deep with people yes. right away. And and it and every once in a while you'll have somebody who sort of gives you a weird look and wants to go find the food right away. Yeah. But more yes. more often than not, people are starving for yes. this kind of deep uh, sense of connection. Absolutely. And and that's what we need to that's what we need to step into as sprinklers, lighthouses, whatever yes. you want to call it. Mm. We all are called to, you know, that path to hold the flashlight for, for other people to see there's a path there. It's true. And I, I think you to hold that space because you're you're right. I think there is a thirst and I tend to be the same type of person. I want to go deep. I can't you know I I got better things to do than surface talk. Hi, how are you? Da, da, da. That's all fine and good. But it's like I want to know what makes you tick what is it that you're struggling with and it's amazing I you know people go there you know and I, yes. I think there shows there's a need for it uh, they want they want and if they see us as people who are able to hold that space for them uh while they say what's on their mind without judgment um that's very powerful right because you're, you're really saying I, so. I see you I see you yes yeah yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, now I have to tell you, there's one more poem that wants to be wants to be part of this. Well, do it. <laughs> okay, 
Uh, and it's actually, it takes us back to the beginning a little bit in terms of what my whole journey has been. And I think that's why it it's kind of meant to round this out. Okay. And it just goes like this. Don't love me because I'm special. Don't love what I achieve. Gold stars cause scars and forge the need to please. Don't, oh, sorry. Love me for who I am in my deepest, darkest heart. A fearful fraud, simply flawed, always trying to be smart. Hmm. See that and see my light, the beauty of my soul, just like you trying to get through this journey back to whole. Hmm. That's all I got. I love it. (laughs) And I think that's a perfect note to end on because that actually just summed up what we were talking about, right? I think that's, that's why it was screaming. It yeah. was screaming at me. And that's say, why I'm no, thinking, me. hey, it wants to be heard. So let's do it. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah. Thanks so much for this today, Dana, and for, for the light that you're bringing to the world. Mm, well, thank you. I really appreciate the conversation. Like I said uh, in our message, and I'm like, I'm getting to talk to the Nancy Regan today. I've told my dad, dad's like, oh, Nancy Regan, what she, <laughs> you know, because it was my parents who brought Live at Five in, you know, during all those years as a, and I'm sure it was more yeah. like when I was a teenager. And so your face and Paul Menier's and, and all, like you say, you became folksy. You became people who are literally in your living room every night. So it's been a thrill to talk to you about your, your spiritual journey and your journey to authenticity. So thanks so much. Give your dad a hug for me when, when hugs are allowed again. (laughs) Oh, he'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him I send him a, a big virtual hug. Oh, awesome. I will pass that along. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, everybody, so much for indulging me. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.